This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Justice delayed is justice denied. I've got a couple of examples of that. I guess I'll start with one that was so obvious and uh, really uh, drawn into sharp relief yesterday with the uh, announcement of the resolution of this case that involved uh, the brutal murder of Christine Jessup, nine-year-old, back in 1984. Uh, for which I guess there's some kind of closure affected for the family as well as the people who worked on that case. Uh, but now Kenny Jessup, the brother of Christine, is infuriated that Calvin Hoover uh, hung around. This is the person implicated in the death. He committed his own uh, suicide back in 2015. Uh, and the reason the family is finally turning to anger now, because the real villain was right there all along. Give a listen. He's at the funeral oh, with geez. his wife. They were good friends of my parents. He was at our house for the wake, the night of the funeral. He had stayed in touch. He had stayed in touch with the police. That's the anger part of this. This son of a gun. <laughs> Sorry, but... No, no. The, well, you can go deeper than the, that. This son of a gun <laughs> stayed, in, stayed around the family. Tripta, let me start with you. I mean, uh, that is a poignant piece, uh, needless to say. I mean, uh, you know, even that the brother could reserve himself in uh, the way he was expressing his anger, uh, kind of remarkable. I think even all these years later, uh, I can understand the frustration, uh, maybe the bitterness, if we can say. But let me ask you, I mean, it's retrospective analysis. I get that. But in hindsight, could the police have done better? I know DNA wasn't as sophisticated as it is today, but the guy was all around the family. And these kinds of stories tend to show that there's always an intimate or somebody familiar with uh, the abused involved in these kinds of things. Do you think the police could have done a better job? Well, I mean, it's listen, looking back on these cases, it's, it's really, really difficult to say. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Sure, we know now. I mean, with the development of DNA, that that it's a lot easier to catch these people. And we also know now with with we know that there's been a lot of study of um, of you know what happens in these sexual assault and uh, child murder cases. I'm, personally, I'm a bit of a true crime buff, so I read a lot about these and uh, watch a lot of true crime shows. And we know that the the sort of psychology and the science on true crime and, and on crime studies has developed quite a bit, psychological profiling, that kind of thing. Um, so we know a lot more now about how um, how these types of killers behave than we did, let's say, in the, in the 1980s. So, you know, it's, it's very easy for us in 2020 to say, well, they should have known that, that someone who infiltrates an investigation and sort of hangs around and goes to the funeral, um, we can all look back with our CSI, um, you know, TV watching backgrounds and say, well, the, the police should have known. It was so obvious at the time. But it's it's really, really easy to play armchair detective. Now, um, you know, I, I suspect that Guy Paul Moran has a very different take on it, obviously. And, um Certainly, there were things that went wrong in that investigation. So it's pretty pretty obvious when you look back and when you read about what happened with with Moran and how how easily initially that that conviction was overturned after the first two years. Um, but uh, but it's I think it's tough to say. I really really do. I've read about it. I've I've thought about it. It's tough. It's a tough. And I realize that's sort of a you know a wishy washy answer. But I, I 
I really hesitate to, to come down on one side or the other. No, that's fair. I mean, I'm just asking, I guess, because it's a subjective assessment. And uh, to John, I'll ask, you know, we, uh, as uh, alluded to, the Kaufman inquiry, uh, you know, that was launched after Guy Paul Moran was uh, wrongfully convicted, served 18 months in jail. Uh, you know, there were a couple of appeals that went to the Supreme Court, and this guy was finally exonerated through DNA uh, all those years later, 11 years later in 1995, and uh, they cut him a check. Uh, the government did for $1.25 million. Uh, but I guess my question again is, uh, if the police were maybe too fixated on Moran and uh, proving him guilty, that they disregarded, you know, they had that tunnel vision on this matter. Uh, and to Tripp's point, I mean, retrospective analysis or hindsight being twenty twenty and armchair quarterbacking and everything, but still, do you think there might have been uh, some reason to be critical of the police back there in the mid-'80s? Well, and I, I can't imagine the, 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 the feelings of the family. And you could hear it in his voice as he was trying to describe the, the situation and, and having reporters say, no, you can actually go deeper. You can actually say more worse things about the, about the person. But, so I can't imagine what they're going through. But, you know, given the fact that this was a case that was in 1984 and, and uh, the tragedy of the case, not, 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 not least of which, of course, a nine-year-old uh, girl that got abducted and, and, uh, and killed, but also the fact that there's a wrongful conviction in, in this case, uh, and then finally, they, they find uh, this, this person through DNA. So I find the whole situation from start to finish was a tragedy for uh, on this case. But I would say, though, John, that cold cases um, are, are, are always a bit of a challenge for, for police departments. You see that in the U.S., you see it here in Canada as well, because, of course, when, when police, are forced, police departments are, are facing funding challenges, uh, and the fact that crime waves are going up, they tend to put more of their money and their resources in trying to resolve the issues that are out in front of them now. Even though this case, you know, given the fact that um, E. Paul Moran was, was found uh, to, uh, to have been wrongfully convicted, that there was still the killer out there, that gets shelved. And they sort of start focusing on things that are happening more present and more real. And it really does involve the family or others who kind of continually have to put their their attention to the police and force the police to say, hey, have you found somebody? Is something going on? What's happening with this? And you have to be sort of that, that squeaky wheel, quite frankly, especially if you're dealing with cold cases, because, as you know, police have to focus on things that are happening now. And, and I think that might have been the case here, which is unfortunate. I wanted Mike to weigh in and here at Scarborough. We were just talking about certain activities that have been curtailed. And, you know, some have been allowed to continue, like gyms are closed, but classes like Taekwondo, karate, and the rest, dance, uh, ballroom dancing schools and things like that, they're allowed to operate. So what's given? There's a certain disparity there, and I think it frustrates people. Mike, what's your story in Scarborough? Yeah, well, they, they canceled hockey, like last week, uh, at Westwood. Now, mm-hmm. the people at Westwood have gone, gone far beyond uh, their rules and their plan, separating people. It's like a ghost town, the arena, but parents are adapting. The kids are coming dressed. We have exactly 15 minutes to get dressed in the dressing room with a maximum, I think, of eight or nine guys. Right. Uh, which, which is a stretch. Some of us are in our 50s. It takes 15 minutes to get our shoes off. So, anyway... So we're, we're fine. We can't shower after. We can't go to the bar unless we're spread out. So we tailgate a bit, and then they cancel it because people in Peel want to have weddings, or the downtown folk want to go to bars. And I don't know what the hell people in Ottawa are doing. Who cares? But uh, it, it's re- it's really crap. Have you ever been to Costco? Have you ever? Have you had the punishment yeah. of going, John? 
Well, well, the one in Scarborough is ridiculous. You go there, and people you're trying to buy some meat, and here's some goof beside you, like all over you, almost touching you. So they get a free pass because it's food, right? So it's, you know, I, I get people need food, but... My God, people are not getting it. Like, give people a, a break, right? Like, give them their space. And, and people need to go out, play hockey, play sports. They need to go to the gym. And that's well, you can make the argument it. more persuasively, Mike, with the GTHL as well as the Mississauga League, you know, cutting back. GTHL thinks they're going to get going again sometime in January because kids are playing. And for the most part, kids are not susceptible. So I get that. The beer league thing, I mean, I'm frustrated as much as you are. I'm, I'm playing two, three times a week, and but not now. And again, because those same rules of engagement, you know, we had trouble getting goalies to come out. And that's exactly. part of the problem. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So Sunday night, we need some players. So if you want, I could message you. <laughs> so if you want to play at, the, if you want to play at Jane and uh, and Seven, that former slaughterhouse or whatever the hell it is, double your yeah. rinks, we play well, Sunday night, and it's and it's hard to get even subs. We're like keeling over. There's no subs, and but we get that. But you know, it, it's frustrating. This we charity thing that uh, is not going away, according to. The Conservatives, anyway, along with the NDP, they'd like to see it further investigated. Uh, and the Liberals in committee are doing this thing called filibustering, uh, just trying to rag the puck. But uh, and as a consequence, there's like marath- marathon sessions now being, uh, I guess, anticipated. Uh, but we get word from Pierre Polyev, uh, who is the finance critic for the Conservative Party. Uh, he says that the Liberal stalling tact is not going to make this go away. Give a listen. Conservatives have made it clear that we are going to continue these meetings until the documents are released. We're not just going to get tired and bored and let let Trudeau shut down the hearings uh, by having his MPs go in and read page after page out of uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. So, Michael Diamond, I mean, is this something that uh, they ought to be persistent about and continue drumming on? I mean, Pierre, Pierre, Justin Trudeau saying the other day, uh, he's focused on this COVID-19 response, and uh, that's really what Canadians care about. Even some of the people close to him have said uh, as much. They're trying to deflect and say that's not Main Street. I mean, this is all Ottawa bubble stuff inside baseball. Who cares? Is he right or wrong? Well, look, I think he's wrong in that uh, folks and governments can have multiple priorities, and transparency is certainly important to make sure that the government is uh, trusted and able to have public confidence in carrying out other important matters. So uh, if, if there's nothing to uh, see here, as the Prime Minister seems to us uh, to want us to think, uh, I think there'd be no issue with him uh, releasing uh, the documents and making sure the opposition can have a transparent opportunity to uh, question him. He's choosing to not do that which makes me think that uh, it might be an Ottawa bubble thing today, but with persistence from the opposition, it won't be in a couple days. And what they're really seeking is uh, the Speaker Spotlight Agency, and you know about agency work, David, uh, when they represented on the mother as well as, uh, I guess, the other members of the family in speaking engagements. uh, They book these things. They're the agency they go through. And uh, some are saying, you know, it's close to half a million dollars, I guess, in funds that went from the WE charity to these members of the Trudeau family. Is this something that really needs to be drilled down on and exposed further? Or again, is it something where uh, people have moved on and they've shifted to other interests like the COVID-19 coverage? Well, you know, I, I think the speaker fee thing is actually interesting because it adds on to the amount of money that the government, uh, that, that we actually paid. 
and we get a charitable deduction for its donations and all of those things, so there's subsidies in there. But, you know, we talked about Skip the Dishes and other uh, delivery platforms. You know, speaker of the agencies do the same thing. They tack on, like, if, if we're going to pay, uh, you know, John Oakley a million bucks to speak at our event, they're going to charge, you know, another 250000 fee on top of that. So, like, the number gets bigger. But yet, like, Michael's on to something here, which is, why do they not want it to continue if there's nothing to see here? And I think that's the the question that's on there. But I also got to point out that Pierre Polyev has got to be the oldest man of his age, saying, you know, quoting the reading from Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> like, I don't even remember that. But uh, you know, I do think it's not going away, despite them wanting to wanting it to go away. And the longer that they filibuster, the means it's just it's a gift to the opposition parties because they just get to keep there and say, uh huh, uh huh. And then next, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, and it just means one more day, one more day, one more day. And it's, you know, it'll be a death by a thousand cuts. Well, yeah, and the NDP, along with the CPCs, are asking for this investigative or ethics committee, uh, you know, which means that they're working in collusion. Whereas, I guess, Jugmeet Singh, you can answer this, David, seems like he's an enabler uh, of Trudeau. Does he have to stick handle this one deftly so he doesn't really tick the guy off and doesn't get his wish list fulfilled? How's that working? Oh, absolutely not. I think that, you know, Jagmeet Singh has been able to extract things from the Trudeau minority government that no other party has been able to do. No other party's gotten one of their priorities through, and Jagmeet's gotten several through. But, you know, he agreed to support it uh, at that, but he didn't agree to say, we're never bringing it back. He was always very clear that this belonged at the Ethics Committee, which is where it's going to now. You know, prior to the the vote on the on the throne speech, the conservatives wanted a special committee, which was before the before the reports came out. Uh, you know, the, the NDP had a position on that, which was closely aligned to the conservatives, but just you know different in the machinations. The conservatives wanted a special committee. The the NDP said no. The, the ethics committee is where it belongs. It's higher profile. It's dedicated to that. It's where where it goes. And so now, you know, uh, the prime minister is stuck with. All of the opposition parties being aligned on that, they can filibuster all they want, but they can't vote it out. Right. Hey, uh, by the way, Michael Diamond, I mean, you know, there's this perception that maybe the media or certain parts of the media in the country will run interference for Justin on this. When it comes to the pandemic failures, for example, uh, what's your perception? Do you think he's getting off easier or they're going light on him? I mean, you contrast it with uh, Donald Trump in the States. I mean, he's responsible for everything uh, there is to do with this. Meanwhile, we know in this country, uh, the PPE failure, the flights that were still coming in from China and uh, all kinds of mixed communications and so on and so forth. Is that an indication of uh, maybe complicity by the media, media failure, uh, or the guy's just too darn charming and nothing sticks to him? How do you read it, Michael? Look, I would say that there's definitely a media bias towards this prime minister over the other uh, party leaders. And uh, uh, the the one place where this prime minister, I think, where there was a failure on COVID or a perceived failure on COVID where the media seemed to uh, attack him or pile up on him on was his refusal to interfere with Health Canada on speeding up the approval of the uh, rapid testing. And Frankly, that's the one thing where I actually had some sympathy for the Prime Minister. I think he did the right thing in letting the Health Canada process uh, uh, play out. So I actually thought the media was wrong there, but just certainly the PPE, uh, the shipments to China, et cetera, et cetera, uh, uh, he's definitely gotten a free ride. Let's get to Joe and Scarborough next here on The Oakley Show. When it comes to the bars, the restaurants, and the gyms, they're lamenting the fact that they're losing business and may lose their businesses uh, and think the government is not serving them well in this regard. So what could the government have done in a better way? Uh, 
insofar as that's concerned. Joe, what do you say? Hey, John. Great day for talk radio, as always. Thank you. I appreciate the work you and your team do and for spreading the word. Now, on to this note for the grocery stores and or the restaurants and the, and the gyms, excuse me. I was known to your screener, the difference between them and the grocery stores is that the gyms and the bars and the restaurants have to keep track of every single person who comes in the door. That's what the government was instructing them to do, and that's what they've done. So they keep track of everyone who comes in and out. Gro- grocery stores, Walmart does not. So then the doctors who work for the government are able to see that all the cases come from the restaurants, the bars, and the gyms, because that's, who has, that's who's keeping track of who's coming in out of the door. So when someone gets sick of COVID in the hospital, then they go back and they can see all the bars and the gyms and the, and the restaurants that they went to, but they don't know if they went to Walmart. They don't know if they went to No Frills. They don't know if they went to any of those places. They only know of those places that, that they went to that kept track of where they went to. This whole thing is a sham. It's a nice, easy way to pick on the businesses who are actually doing hard work to keep track of who's coming in the door while, and then screwing them over and then putting them out of business. This is a sham. In other words, they're victim of, victims of their own responsibility uh, because they're actually taking this under strict advisement, following all the protocols, and it's redounding against them. It's an interesting argument. Uh, I didn't realize, you know, never drew that comparison, but a lot of other establishments that allow, people always bring up Costco, people milling about, never any attempt at tracking or tracing or taking names. It's a great point you make, Joe, and I appreciate your uh, tabling, tabling it here this afternoon because this might give us a misrepresentation of what's really playing out out there. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.